Hey, 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 hey. Welcome to the Clark and Miller English Podcast. Uh, who am I? Well, I'm Gabriel from Clark and Miller, uh, clarkandmiller.com, which is a website, and now also the host of the Clark and Miller English Podcast, which you obviously know about because you're listening to it right now. Okay, so Clark Miller is um, basically uh, a website and a post pod- and a podcast for uh, English learners, usually high-level English learners, but also teachers as well. And you know, we get into some like interesting, weird, strange places uh, while looking at the English language, how it works, um, and things like that. Um, and last week, I I accidentally launched this podcast. Um, it's a long story. But to cut a long story short, um, okay. So let me explain. Like putting a podcast up onto the internet is a surprisingly difficult uh, process. Um, lots of like tricky little things you need to do. So last weekend, I thought, okay, I'll just go through this process and see if I can figure out how to do it. And in doing that, I actually launched it. So that's what we have now. Here we are. We've got the podcast. Uh, it's up. Welcome. Um, so you may have noticed that most of the podcast episodes have a little picture next to them and they're usually blue uh, but today they're actually this one's red we got a Clark Miller English podcast red now what does that mean like they're a little bit different from the normal ones the blue ones are for definitely for people learning they've got actual language tips and study tips and things like that very very directed towards English learners um but uh red isn't for danger um but it is usually a, a little bit more directed towards teachers english teachers language teachers also for learners who are interested in the whole teaching learning process this this isn't just for teachers it's for everybody um but the the talk and the discussion and the topics will be sort of a bit more um either about language teaching and sometimes we've got a few episodes coming up that I'm actually very excited about. Sometimes um, the topics get quite hardcore, quite heavy, quite serious with very uh, like we look at like linguistic concepts, uh, academically linguistic concepts, stuff that I found really, really, really interesting. Um, but all of it is going to be interesting quite light despite the heavy content sometimes and fun um the whole point is to democratize these 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 ideas and and to make make it easier for anyone to understand that's the entire mission that's why i'm here on this earth um and doing this podcast so whoever you are you're maybe an english learner an english teacher someone who's just interested in language um these red ones are for everybody um, and what's happening today? Well, this one, I'm interviewing uh, a, a friend of mine and a colleague and, um, well, like one, one of the, one of the top English teachers around. Uh, he's, he's, he's very, um, well known in the English teaching world. He talks at conferences. He's written a lot of books. Um, he's written course books. He runs a school. His name's Hugh Della. And I think, uh, best thing is uh, for me to let Hugh introduce himself at the beginning. Um, before we start, I'll just let you know, I'll give you a map of what we talked about, because it's always good when you're listening to something to know the structure of it. It makes it less um, anxious to listen to. You're not thinking about when it's going to finish, what's happening next. You know the map. When you have the map in your head, when you know the shape of the podcast, 
um, it makes it easier for you to process what's happening when you're listening to it. So what do Hugh and I talk about? Well, we've got a lot of topics. Uh, we talk a bit about his school. We talk a bit about uh, the whole native teacher versus non-native teacher. Uh, this is a, a serious subject that's happening at the moment. Um, oh, we talked about lots of things, how natural phrases and uh, are, are quite powerful um, identity and language, how like stereotypes of countries like England with its top hats and its umbrellas um, are, are kind of ridiculous stereotypes, um, how some topics are not allowed in the English course book world. Publishers don't like to talk about certain topics. Um, uh, how to deal with things like uh, racism and homophobia in the classroom. Um, how uh, how students should approach learning. Why why things like X Factor is better English practice than Dickens. This is going to probably annoy a few people, but hear us out. We, I think Hugh has some good points on this. Um, how different spoken English is to written English. And finally, um, there are going to be three tips from Hugh for learning English. Um, and I'm not going to tell you them now. You, you're going to have to wait until later on in the podcast, right at the end. Um, you could be cheeky and just skip to the end. But I recommend uh, listening to the whole thing. So let's get started. I'll just let Hugh introduce himself and, uh, yeah, enjoy this one. And, uh, yeah, see you next week. Okay, so, yeah, uh, I'm here with Hugh Della. Uh, he's been on, on the scene for quite a while. Yeah, which is a polite <laughs> way of saying I'm getting on a bit, but um, um, it's all true. Could insinuate that. That's possible. Um, but, yeah, um, I'll let you do your own introduction. Now, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? What have you been up to in the last... So, I'm a teacher and teacher trainer and course book writer and methodology book writer. Uh, I'm based in North London. Um, I've actually been teaching since 1993 and training and writing since 2000. So, yes, you know, I've been around a, a fair old while, I suppose. Um, these days, I'm mostly responsible, along with my co-author, Andrew Walkley, for the Outcome series of course books. We've also been involved in a couple of other series called Roadmap and Perspectives. Um, we've written the Teaching Lexically Methodology book and we run a website and a summer school here in London under the name of Lexical Lab. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah, tell me, tell me about Lexical Lab very quickly. So what makes it, I'm going to ask you a sort of cliche question, mm -hmm. I suppose, what makes it different from the other schools? Because I know it is different. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's different on, on multiple levels, I think, actually. Um, um, I think what makes us different is we're a very small operation. It's basically me and Andrew, mm -hmm. Andrew and I, for those of you that get hung up about that. No, nah, me and Andrew, me and Andrew. Um, that's much <laughs> that sounds better. Me and Andrew. <laughs> um, we've got three guest visiting speakers who run mm -hmm. courses for us, but basically we run the majority of the courses. Um, we're both, you know, very experienced coursebook writers and trainers, mm -hmm. and so I think it's one way to have immediate kind of direct contact with us while you're here mm. on top of the actual courses that we run. And I think basically the lexical lab summer school emerged out of our own frustration with running CELTA courses back okay. in the day. So what's a CELTA course very quickly? Something so there. a CELTA course is a kind of one month training course that was originally designed for native speakers 
who didn't really know much about language teaching or language to to do and to allow themselves to then pass themselves off as teachers. Mm. So when I first started teaching, and possibly when you did, yeah. um, I did a, a one-month CELTA course, yeah, and after that, I kind of got a job as a teacher. And it was a sort of native speaker privilege, in a way, because... You know, I, I was allowed to pretend I knew what I was doing when I obviously didn't mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. and I sort of, you know, winged it and blagged my way through things. Okay, this is a good point to start to dwell on for a bit. Okay, well, dwell's not the best way for this, okay. but um, yeah. So it's a sort of so this is where a lot of people who are learning English, their teachers have like a lot of them have uh, this this qualification, yeah, especially if they're native speakers, especially if they're native speakers. Yeah. yeah. So this is a thing, isn't it? That like um, it kind of lends. Like it makes it makes it it promotes the idea that native speakers are better, right? I think it does because yeah. so, so say you're a, you know a Russian teacher of English or a Bulgarian teacher of mm. English or whatever, you, you've got two distinct advantages. One of which is that you've actually learned English yourself, okay, often mm. to a very very high level. So you've got this experience of being a language learner that most native speakers don't have when they first start teaching. Absolutely. I mean, I had O level French. You know, that was it. Um, that was the, the kind of sum total of my <laughs> language learning experience when I first started being a language teacher. So on top of that, most non-native speaker teachers, so-called, have also done local pedagogical degrees. So they'll have done Pedagogical like, degree, what's that? So that they'll have done like um, a degree where they're studying, say, English language, English literature and pedagogy, teaching. Teaching. Yeah. So a lot of like the Russian teachers I work with or mm-hmm. Ukrainian teachers I work with mm-hmm. or whatever, they'll have done a four-year degree where they've studied language, linguistics, they've studied teaching methodology, mm-hmm. they've done teaching practice, mm-hmm. um, they've actually learned English themselves and they're still coming out of all of that being told that if they want to be recognised internationally as a valid language teacher, they have to do a CELTA course. Whereas for someone like me, who at 23 had no idea about how language worked, mm-hmm. I didn't really have any experience of teaching, I didn't really have any experience of foreign language learning, I skipped the whole of the early part that those teachers have done. I did the one-month teaching course, training course, the CELTA course, and I was allowed to go off and actually still have privileged status because I was offered jobs that non-natives wouldn't be offered simply because of where I was born. Yeah. So I think it does. It, it perpetuates this kind of two-tier system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what was also interesting about it, when I first started teaching, on my CELTA course, it was predominantly people like me. It was like misfit native speakers who didn't know what they were going to do with their lives mm-hmm. and were looking to go abroad for a couple of years to have an adventure. So people people who, who, who didn't have an awakening, awakening at the age of... 14 and wanted to be a teacher. Yeah, no, I wasn't that person. Yeah, I was someone I. who drifted into language teaching by lucky accident. Mm-hmm. What changed over the years when I was running CELTA courses myself was increasingly the demographic became much more so-called non-native speaker teachers who yeah. were being forced into doing CELTAs because of local market demands or because they wanted to travel. So, and CELTA's not, not designed for them. Yeah. So, you know, that day one of the CELTA, you do a kind of Mickey Mouse language input session where you're looking at the tense system or the simple and the continuous. And you've got a native speaker there who's kind of going, what, I don't understand any of this, mm-hmm. next to a Polish teacher who's been teaching eight years, who's like, seriously, I have to talk about this? Mm-hmm. You know, I've known this stuff since I was 13. Yeah. 
And so I think part of what we wanted to do with Lexical Lab was to set up training courses that were much more geared towards non-native speaker teachers who were already qualified in their own country and who wanted training courses that reflected their own realities and that pushed them on a little bit. Okay, so um, so it, it was very much yeah. driven by that initially. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So you're, you're, it's just training teachers? Uh, not, no, it's not actually. So uh, we run a range of courses. We do yeah. a two-week teaching lexically course. Um, we do a one-week uh, developing materials course. We do three one-week advanced language and culture courses, mm-hmm. which is kind of looking at contemporary Britain um, in all its peculiarity um, with a language focus on top. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a course on testing and assessment We've got a course on teaching teens, teaching primary. And then the last two weeks of the summer school, we do um, either a basic English course or an English boost course, which is kind of like a teaching unplugged thing where we're basically teaching without really any fixed materials. Uh We're working a lot from the students. Freestyle sort of Freestyle um, Um, around loose topic areas, but very much working from what comes up from the students and turning that into input that's useful for the whole class. Yeah. So in a nutshell, you're sort of if you're gonna if you're gonna nutshell the whole everything you said in the last five minutes, yeah. Like you're providing like more uh, hands-on or more practical teaching training. Teaching yeah. Training. So it's 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 operating on the assumption that the people we're working with are already teachers mm. and that they've already got classroom experience and knowledge of language. Mm-hmm. And it's building on that and challenging them sometimes in the way they think about language, looking at the realities of everyday classroom practice in terms of what you do when you're teaching vocab and why, what you do when you're teaching grammar and why, how to reformulate, why some kinds of reformulation are better than others. mm -hmm. But also where it's different from something like a CELTA is talking about translation, talking about L1 use. L1, like first language. Yeah, exactly, first language use and kind of recognising the reality that the vast majority of teachers around the world are actually bilingual, non-native speakers working with students with whom they share a first language. And from the point of view of, like, most of our listeners being learners and stuff, yeah. so basically, if I can try and paraphrase, yeah, you, yeah. like, where you have this CELTA course, which is, like, the standard for, yeah. for teachers, and most teachers who have this have been trained to look at like subject verb object yeah, past, exactly. present continuous yeah. whatever very sort of system systemic or systematic no systemic yeah sort of i mean i would call it quite a simplistic view of language and it's simplistic myself. and i think it's it's mathematical and where yeah. language isn't mathematical so you're you're trying to show teachers how to engage with students in a more sort of natural and organic yes. way right yes and, and also just getting them to be aware of a bit more about the complexities of how language works making them think a bit more about areas they maybe haven't thought about, like mm. colligation. Colligation is and a fun if one. You're, if you're not aware of what colligation <laughs> is, it's basically the grammatical patterns that often attach themselves to particular words. Okay. And that will be different from language to language. So, you know, for lots of languages, say you take a word like want, mm-hmm. you might say something like, you know, my father wants that I study business. Mm-hmm. Okay, like lots of Slavic languages will do it that way. Mm-hmm. In English, the word want has different colligation. So mm-hmm. you'll say, he wants me to study business. Yeah. And I think a lot of the problems learners have when they're speaking English is they know the word father and want and study and business, 
when they try to speak English, they'll say, my father wants that I study English, and that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not wrong because of grammar in the way we traditionally think of grammar. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 it's not a problem with the present simple or a problem with modal verbs or something like that. It's a problem with the way in which the word want itself operates from one language to another language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, loads of examples, common examples of students who say things like, I am agree. Yeah. It yeah. is depend of my friend. Yeah, which sounds that, great. That's colligational errors. Yeah, exactly. Turkish, and it it's bringing over the yeah. first language influence into the second mm-hmm. language and not being aware of the way in which those words pattern grammatically differently in different languages. Yeah. So it's looking at language in a more nuanced and complicated way I suppose and I I guess there's a tendency for like people who design teacher training courses and for teachers themselves to just try and find mathematical formula for everything yeah and also just to kind of repeat the training course that they themselves were given it doesn't work like that language is much more organic and then and I think the the other thing that we do with Lexical Lab that's maybe different is we have a, a very thorough cultural and social program which we mm. run ourselves as well so culture and language are quite intrinsically connected aren't they and we know that a lot of the people that come to us have been to london before as a tourist but not necessarily seen anything that we would recognize as normal london so people will say i've been here three times i've seen london i've seen buckingham palace and mm-hmm. big ben and trafalgar mm-hmm. square mm-hmm. and we're like yeah but have you actually been anywhere that normal people go so we try to do a range of different trips and excursions where we explore the city through different lenses so we do one day where we do gentrification and we take them around an area that's been massively gentrified gentrified is when things have been yeah it's it's where an area smartened up for for the benefit of middle class upper middle class Mm -hmm. people and the people who used to live there get forced out because they can't afford because they used to be cheap cheaper areas yeah exactly yeah um, and we'll do another one where we go down to South London and we go to the Black Cultural Archive and we talk about immigration and the Windrush generation, the kind of first okay. wave of Caribbean immigrants coming yeah. here after the war. Because it's a large part of our modern heritage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and kind of very much wanting to make our students that come to visit London aware of, you know, the kind of current cultural, social, political realities of the city. Yeah. Um, and, and to help them enjoy that and to experience that in a way that they probably wouldn't do if they came here just as tourists. You don't get this in your traditional like you courses, really don't. do you? <laughs> you yeah. really, really don't. You still see top hat and umbrella. There's still a lot of that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. just yesterday I got an email from a teacher saying, Dear Mr. Della, I'm doing a project on... The English tradition of five o'clock tea. Five o'clock tea, no. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Do do you do this? How do you feel about this tradition? How does your family feel about this? And that's still out there. That's still out there. I've never met a single person who does five o'clock tea. I mean, you know, for me, I've got tea on permanent drip. It's basically (laughs) wake up, drink tea, finish my cup of tea, drink another cup of tea. Have another Um, tea before my next one. (laughs) <laughs> but there's still a lot of people out there who are yeah, teaching yeah. English and sometimes even using material that they have to teach from in their own local context or national context that forces this kind of nonsense upon them. Mm. And so for a lot of teachers, when they first come to the UK and they realise, oh, my God, everything I was told about England is actually kind of wrong or, mm. or that can be quite a challenge to people. And people respond to that in different ways some some people respond quite negatively i mean sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. i had a teacher last year who said one of the things she'd noticed in london was that a lot of native speakers don't pronounce the language correctly is it incorrect or is it 
and you have to sort of go, <laughs> yeah. well, that's one way you could look at it, or maybe you have a strange idea about what correct means. Also, if you go to England and you're you have an idea of what correct means, you're going to be disappointed yeah. a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, probably even by people like me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's... Yeah. So... I don't use whom. Whom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone use whom oh, except my, non-native speaking My dad does. Does he? He's in his 80s. Yeah, I mean, and I guess there's that generation, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it's... Yeah. I got a little anecdote about that. He He's a writer, and... Um, he, he wrote a book, I can't remember which one it was, he, he writes lots of books all the time, and um, his copy editor removed all the whoms and replaced them with whos to make it sound a bit more modern. Yeah. He, he got them to go back and put all the whoms Seriously. back into his book. It's quite deep part well, of it's him. funny because he's, he's quite, he's, you know, he's a liberal-minded guy, he's very open-minded, but um, he, language is weird like that because it gets to people. People get upset by language more than... Thing, other things that they should be more upset about. Indeed. And, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that it gets really personal very quickly, doesn't it? It's almost like they're robbing him of a little bit of himself by yeah, taking like that away. taking a chunk of his identity out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. what we do with the summer school anyway. Yes, that's great. Um, and it's... please have a look at the website, which is www.lexicallab.com. Lexicallab.com. Yeah. Cool, yeah, um... Yeah, definitely worth a check. And this does also, because you were talking about this sort of black heritage stuff and, you know, like what some would call an alternative cultural yeah. uh, tool, which is probably weird because it's p- probably much more closer to the reality of British culture or London culture. Than a lot of what's represented in yeah. course books, yeah. Yeah, but it does bring me to um, an acronym that I'm quite fond of because I, I find it quite weird that we have this. this you know what I'm going to say, right? Parsnips, I'm going to say it? parsnip. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So... First of all, what's a, what does parsnip mean? It's, it's so, an English teaching world. Yeah, it is. And it's particularly something that if you're a course book writer or you're involved in the publishing world, you come up against. It's an acronym that represents things that are basically taboo or forbidden within the publishing world. And it stands for pork, alcohol, religion, sex, sex. narcotics... Isms, isms, which is like communism, socialism, sexism, racism, capitalism, fascism. Anything, you know. Um, where are we? Um, one more. Last P. One P. Uh, we had pork already. We politics. Had, politics, of course. Yeah? yeah. Okay. And the basic idea is that these are subjects which can, you know, be very problematic to deal with in the classroom. They can cause conflict. They can cause offence. And that... According to the publishers, the the world would be a better place if these things were left out of the classroom and and or left for teachers to bring into the classroom should they be sufficiently talented and able to do do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically things this is the pub I mean to be cynical, this is probably the publishing world wanting to sell as much as possible, so yes. therefore and trying not to offend very much so possible. and it's very much what you see in publishing is it's the, the 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 market is driven by the most conservative ends of the market. Yeah. So things like the Saudi market, um, but also I mean people think it's always Saudi, but it's not only that. It's also the big Catholic schools and Catholic universities mm-hmm. um, in Spain, in Poland, in Latin America, yeah. who are very very culturally conservative and who will drop books that they feel are somehow. Presenting values which go against values that they're trying to promote. Yes, being okay. conservative values. Yeah. yeah. And so as a result, that has a backwash on what everyone else consumes. So if you are like a, you know, 
um, a gay Brazilian, a black gay Brazilian teacher looking for something that reflects your own reality in the world of global course books, you're not going to find it mm. because that's been written out completely yeah. by those more conservative ends of the market yes. that they're trying, by, by trying to be all things to all people, inevitably you lose something. Yeah. Um, I think there's also, there's, to be honest, a lot of course book writers themselves, because of where they're from and their own backgrounds, don't kick against this or try to subvert this as much as maybe they could. Well, this is a good time to give a shout-out, isn't it, to... Um, I can't remember the name of the course book. In Brazil, there's a, a group of guys yeah. trying to transcend this. There, there's a guy called James Taylor and Ila Coimbra, mm -hmm. and they're, they're producing material which is essentially driven by... Ila works for a charity that gets LGBT, LGBT kids off the streets. Mm -hmm. Kids who have been kicked out of home by homophobic parents and who are then looked after by this charity. So the material that they're selling, which is trying to cover a lot of areas that aren't covered by other course books, mm -hmm. um, all of the profit they're making from that is going towards this charity which Ila is involved That's in. That's fantastic. So it's, it's, yeah. um, is it called Stand Up? Yeah, stand up. It was called stand up. Stand up now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's great. They have. It's, it's really they just, worth. They just normalise things that you don't see in other course books, and it's not yeah. like it's not like uh, like um, pushing any sort of uh, thing. You just have like I I haven't seen this, but I'm, this is how I'm picturing it. Like you'd have like three different families. Yeah, um, and, and one will be a same-sex couple. One will just be a same-sex yeah. couple, and you yeah. just don't mention it, and that's and, great. Like, and I think that's really important that these aren't made into issues in a way. No. Because no, that, it's, it's just it's yeah. just people going about their lives, and different people, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And I, uh, I've lost what I was going to say. There, I'll come back to it if I remember it. Okay, the parsnips. Thing. I can rant about parsnip for a no. bit. Because at the same time, I, mean, I should just say, mm. I, I, I do understand where they're coming from. Yeah, with it, okay. Yeah. And I think often things have been handled very badly. I think mm -hmm. a lot of publishers have experience of material that's been poorly designed or poorly vetted that has caused great offence in certain kinds of markets. Sure, yeah. That's I think point. the way I would look at it is it's not about bringing issues into the classroom. It's about make, making language available, for mm -hmm. one thing, mm -hmm. okay? And in a way, there's a, kind of, there's a spectrum of acceptability. So if you're saying you can't put the word abortion in a book, okay... I'm just about okay with that. I think, okay, I can understand why you might not want the word abortion in a book. If you're saying you can't have the word pregnant in a book, it becomes really problematic. Because mm. for me, if I've got the word pregnant in the book, like say it's, you know, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. All oh, congratulations. When's it due? Mm. That's just an innocent little dialogue like that. Mm. If you've got the word pregnant, a good teacher can say, okay, if you're 16 and you get pregnant, what options do you have? Mm. Okay. And, you know, people are going to go, kill the baby, keep the baby. And from that, a good teacher will kind of go, she got pregnant when she was 16 and decided to have an abortion. She got pregnant when she was 16 and decided to keep it. She got pregnant when she was 16 and decided to have it adopted. Yeah. Okay. And you can just teach that language without giving any moral opinion about abortion, oh, yeah. without asking anyone how they feel about abortion or if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Students might ask, is it legal in your country? You can answer that question. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've done that many, many times and I've never had anyone have an argument about abortion because I'm not asking, do you think abortions are good things or bad things? Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, do you know the language? And I think the problem comes where... If you're cutting even words like pregnant, 
Well, where's the space to teach slightly more taboo, if you want to call it that, language? And I think everyone knows these words in their own language, yeah. and these are things that are discussed in every culture and in I every language. To get to. Yeah, these, okay? these are things people need to be able yeah. to talk about. Yeah, I mean, the at, most some point. at the most ridiculous. Publishers will tell you you can't include the word pork because it's offensive to Muslims, Mm -hmm. okay? And having lived in a Muslim-majority country for for four years, one of the first words Muslims need to learn is the word pork. I was going to say that, If you're Muslim, you you, you know, I mean, I saw it, I was in Heathrow Airport recently and there was a a Muslim family from the Middle East and they'd ordered a full English breakfast. And one of the guys came running out of the back room, a Muslim guy, British Muslim, and said, Mm. brother, brother, you do know this is not halal, right? And the guy said, this is pork? He's like, of course it's pork. What were you thinking? And obviously what he's thinking is, it must be halal because it's an international airport and I've ordered yeah. a breakfast. I, mean, I, I must be getting, you know, mm. beef sausages or, or something like that. Mm. Uh, uh, chicken sausages, you know, like you get in Turkey or something, yeah. where you still get sausages that are just not pork. And if, you know, if, if you don't know how to ask, has this got pork in it? As a Muslim or as a Jewish person, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. it's, and it's so, a crucial piece of vocabulary. For me, it's, it's just thinking about what is it you're doing with the vocabulary in the book? Are, are, you, are you, you know, if the conversation is, try some pork, it's delicious. <laughs> you know, that's very different to, I'm sorry, I can't eat, I don't eat pork, it's against my religion. Yes. So th- yeah. there's ways in which you can include words which are sensitive. Yeah. And there's ways in which you can include words which are offensive. Yeah. I think. And as a writer, I feel you have a kind of responsibility to to push that as far as you can. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say, I just remembered from yeah. earlier, is it's actually more insidious than just parsnips because actually a lot of what gets cut doesn't fit into those acronyms. A lot mm-hmm. of it is just, all oh, that could be sensitive. And I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. We, we did, a, we did a, a thing called Roadmap and... In one of the units, we wrote a podcast, and it was basically about animals, okay? And it was like, and today, on Amazing Animals. And at the beginning, we just had a little thing about three animals. So you're going to hear about, you know, Michael Johnson's amazing juggling fox, um, a dog that clears landmines in a former war zone, and something else. Mm -hmm. And they said to us, can you cut the comment about the dog that clears landmines? We're like, why? You know, it's, it's, it's a positive... One, it happens... Okay, yeah. There are all kinds of dogs out there that work in former war zones and clear landmines. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even in Britain, you've got Boris Johnson with his fantasy bridge from Scotland to Northern Ireland. <laughs> it can't be built because the sea's full of mines. Okay, so this is like, you know... Hang on a sec. The sea's full of mines? Yeah, the sea's full of mines. From the World War II? Uh, from World War II and from some of them during the Troubles and stuff as well. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're basically saying that it, it poses a kind of material threat to... To, 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 to any kind of construction. So, minds appear in news stories. And we said, well, why, what on earth is the problem? We're not asking students to do anything with this language. We're not drawing attention to it. It's just kind of real-world yeah. froth that you add to, to, to give a veneer of authenticity. And they said, well, there might be people in the class who've been involved in wars. And it was like, I've taught loads of people who've been involved in war zones. Trust me, everything's upsetting. Okay, you do a unit on food or family or cinema or football. Everything's upsetting mm. if you've been in a war. Okay, mm. I've taught students whose partners have been murdered um, at, in London, 
And actually, the most upsetting things are what kind of films do you like watching? Because they think about films they used to go and watch with their murdered husband. Yeah. Um, you know, when they do the crime unit, they're like, oh, I can talk about crime because I've spent hours and hours mm. in police stations. And I, I just think that that kind of weird overprotectiveness and sort of, as a result, infantilization of both teachers and students isn't healthy. Yeah. It's really not healthy. Yeah. And it doesn't reflect the reality of what we all know happens in classrooms, which is people talk about stuff. You know, one of the lovely things for me about a language classroom is it's a space where you can talk about anything. You know, anything. Yeah. And, and, and everything comes up. This is, yeah, this is a crucial point because language is, you know, it's, it's a means of communication and it's a... Uh, it's a sort of bonding agent between people. It creates social relationships. Yeah. And you can't really control that. And that's... No, although a lot of course books try to, of Yeah, course. That's, and, and this is the problem. You know, but I think when I was a younger that. teacher, very little real communication took place in my classrooms because really what I was doing was checking students can say three trees and checking they can use the present perfect mm, simple mm. correctly. You know, I wasn't really thinking about my students as real people. and the Because I wasn't they, trained to do that. And the needs they have. Like, yeah. they're going to want to leave the classroom, go and talk in English about yeah. certain topics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably not their favourite hobbies for the fifth time. And, and well. I think like, one, one of the great ironies you have at the moment is the way publishers are sort of marketing themselves. is like, you know, bringing the, bringing, bringing the world to the, the real, classroom. Real world English. Real world English. <laughs> but not that real. But yeah, no, we're not. But no, not that bit of no the world to the classroom. No pregnancy or minds. Yeah. 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 You know, so mm-hmm. there is a sort of grim irony in, in, in the way in which publishers well, would like to be. It's a perceived. marketing tool. The, 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 how real or, or correct or, or you know, true it is, is, is irrelevant, really. It's selling, yeah. it's selling books. And, and I'm, being, know, I'm being very I, cynical. I, I, I don't here, wish but, to unsell yeah. my own products, obviously. <laughs> of course. But, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I write for a, a good chunk of my living, but at the same time, I think. You have to push the envelope a little bit. And as yeah, a writer, yeah. you have a responsibility to just push it a little bit further and see see, see what you can and can't get away with. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise change never happens. That's excellent point. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a good one to end that bit of, okay. bit of the cast on. But yes, yeah, so parsnips. Um, I'm thinking of sort of questions we can ask our listeners on the way. So we talked about that. We talked about the the traditional mathematical approach to, to, to mm. teaching as well. So... I guess have you have you I'm talking to you listeners now have you have you had experience with different teachers native speakers and non-native speakers so called and have have you had problems with mathematical approaches teachers who are just too mathematical and not letting it be fluid? yeah I guess have you had teachers who help you or or hinder you by sh- have you had teachers who present different ways of thinking about language maybe mm-hmm. yeah so I think that can be a real challenge for students when they've been trained to think about language in one way and then they get a teacher who's kind of going, well, I'm not going to present language to you in that way. That's I'm going question. to present it to you like this. Okay. So have, have you had teachers who present visions of language or ways of thinking about language that challenge or differ from the way that you've been presented with language before? And yeah. how, how was that for you? That's a good question. Okay, so you heard that. Um, send an email. It's gabriel at clarkamilla.com. My name and my website, gabriel at clarkamilla.com. Um, I guess also, I mean, the parsnips yeah. question is, That's, yeah, the second it question. is, you know, have you been in a classroom where you've wanted to talk about politics or alcohol or religion or sex or narcotics Communism or isms or politics mm. or any of those things? Have any of those things come up while you were talking in class and 
how did you start talking about them? What was mm. the teacher's response? Yeah, how did the teacher deal with it? So, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, in my experience, that comes up all the yeah. time. Sometimes in really innocent ways. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this talk next week in London, and one of them is about how students often say things that you're really not expecting. I was doing a class once, and we had this phrase, recognise. Uh-huh. And one of the students said, what's the difference between recognise and realise? So I explained that. I wrote this example up on the board saying, I almost didn't recognise him. He looked completely different. And I asked the group, any reasons why maybe you don't recognise someone? And the students say things like, before thin, now very fat. Before okay. very fat, now very thin. Okay. And one of my Thai students suddenly said, ah, oh, I didn't recognise him because he was she. It's like, what? Said, Last time I saw him, he. This time I saw him, she. And you're like, okay. So it had like some kind of sex change operation, gender reassignment operation. Ah, oh, oh, how to say. And you end up writing it on the Useful board. Useful stuff if you've you got know, friends who've <laughs> done that. If you've yeah. got friends who've transitioned, that's something that's yeah. quite useful to you know. Need, you need this stuff. And it's life. Yeah. You know, I'm not taking an angle on that. I'm yeah. not asking people if they think that's yeah. a good thing or and a bad thing or a weird thing. Yeah. All I'm doing is saying, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You mean this. Yeah. So a good teacher doesn't take a, a side on these issues, but also a good teacher will allow it to be discussed. Yeah, I mean, having said that, that, there are some things that I will take a side on oh, yeah. if, if I feel that they're profoundly offensive potentially to people within the group. Certainly. and I So, guess... I mean, if I have a student who will say something like, <coughs> you know, the gays must die... It's like, well, it's not my job to tell you what to think, but you have basically just said that some of my friends will be better off dead. Thanks for that. Mm. You know the gays? It's like, I have You know the gays? <laughs> you know, and you have to have those conversations, yeah. I think. And, and but that's Even the, then, even it's then, like... You're not taking a side there. You're, you're... You can think what you want, but mm-hmm. just be aware of the impact that this has on me. Yeah. Okay? Because yeah. these are people I know that you're talking about. There could be people in the class that you're talking about. You don't know. Yeah. Yeah? So I think there there are some things where you have to kind of challenge racism, sexism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. because that's to do with justice and equality within the classroom, I think. Yeah. And it's to do with students. You know, I mean, I've had students make comments about Muslims in class when they're sitting next to a Muslim. And, and you're like, <laughs> what's happening in your head to be able to... Oh, the Muslims are all terrorists, except for Abdullah, who's sitting yeah. next to... Oh, don't mean you! Don't mean you, you're all right. I'm in the others. Oh, you mean my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's... It, it's good just to make students aware of the fact that what you've just said is the guy sitting next mm. to you is basically a terrorist. Stop, think a minute, step back mm. from that. How do you feel if you hear that all Italians are mafioso? How mm. does that make you feel? Ah, yeah. Okay, so... You know, maybe that's how it makes Abdullah feel when you say things like that. Right. And you're not you're not still okay. not taking a, a you know, position. I still you? love you. But yeah. but but come on, think a bit more, please. Yeah. yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You know, we're adults and we're here to respect each other and learn from each other and part of that is to do with not making gross generalizations yeah. about groups of people and based on various factors. And that's one of the best things about learning a language is is you you, you get to do that. Yes. You get to discover yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I never take a position. Um, yeah. But with I, things like I'd say you know, someone take... had a sex change operation, well, mm-hmm. that's just a sentence. You know, mm-hmm. she was sixteen and she had an abortion. That's just a sentence. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, 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 I almost don't care whether you're pro or anti-abortion or you've had an abortion or whatever. I don't care. 
All I want to do in that situation is just give you that piece of vocabulary in case at some point it's useful it's for you. It's the sort of thing that might come up yeah. in this real world that the textbooks aren't saying. So the question, I guess, is how, how real have some of your lessons got? And oh, God. How, how, <laughs> well, I mean for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the question for the listeners, like how, how, have you ever had a lesson that got real? And yeah, yeah. What happened? And what happened? And also, have you had lessons where something real came up and the teacher blocked it? Yeah, I bet they um, have. I bet that, most that teachers have, have had happened. that. Yeah, yeah. So again, get uh, would, you just reminded me of a, a, a woman I used to share a class with years ago when uh-huh. I worked at University of Westminster, and she she taught some of these Japanese lads we used to play football with. Okay. And they were, they were lovely guys, but they spent a lot of time in the pubs of London. They swore very proficiently in English. And she did a role play where she asked them to role play an argument between an angry teenager and a mother. And one of the young lads was playing the angry teenager. And he said something like, don't fucking tell me what to do to the mother. And she asked him to leave the classroom because she said that wasn't appropriate. And he was going... I'm being an angry teenager <laughs> just going, in an inappropriate manner in my classroom. And I, I just thought, well, what, a, what a surreal thing to do, to ask someone to role-play a conversation where they're losing their temper and then to punish them for quite fluently swearing in English. <laughs> it just seems bizarre. But some teachers have that kind of immediate shutdown yeah. where, no, you've crossed a line and I'm not going to have that. We're not even going to talk about it. Go. Mm. This, you know, this never happened. Stop. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I suspect a lot of people have had similar experiences. Well, right well, we in. We'll find out. Right in. I'd be um, interested to know as well. On a last note on this bit, yeah. um, that, that reminds me of, uh, have you ever seen Six Stories High? No. Oh, that's, I can't remember. Uh, ooh. Can't remember the name of the comedian. Anyway, English comedian. And um, it's a sitcom. And he's... Um, He's, I know, he's, t- he, he's, trying to book, he's trying to get on a flight, but the flight's full, even though he's booked a ticket, and he's just swearing at the, the woman behind the desk, and she's saying, like, there's no need to swear, and he's like, well, I think this is precisely the sort of situation that swearing was invented for, there is a need to swear, this is what swearing is for, if I can't swear now, when can I swear? Um, so he makes a good point, and it, it relates yeah. to, the, to the past. I bet thing. it didn't get him on the flight, though, did it? I can't remember what happened in that episode, yeah. it was a quite a surreal show. Um, <laughs> God, I wish I could remember, remember the guy's name. Uh, he's on a, um, 8 out of 10 cast does Countdown. He's one of the team leaders. Doesn't matter. Not important. Write in if you know that guy's name. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're on to the last little bits. Yeah. Um, um, wanted very quickly, if you could, talk about your approach, but in a nutshell. Like, how, how would you... You know, so, I'm going to rephrase the question very quickly. Okay. Like, how would you suggest a student approaches their learning that's okay I'll, I'll answer both quickly okay i mean in terms of my own approach it's it's quite a simple thing i think i think a language classroom should be language rich um i think it should be language which is relevant to students desired outcomes and i think the students should be used as a resource by the teacher that's working with them mm-hmm. um those are the kind of three primary things i believe about the language classroom I think for students, particularly the kind of language learners who might be listening to this, who are clearly already fairly competent language users and and language processors, I think the first thing to say is grammar's really not your problem at this stage, okay? I mean, I'm doing a talk later this year about what's grammar for, okay? 
And I am basically begin by looking at board work and asking people what the board work has in common. Uh, board work being what people write on Things the board. that I've written on the yeah. boards, okay? Yeah. And it's all either examples of how to use vocabulary that I've been teaching or it's reformulations or rephrasing of things students have tried to say. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the grammar that comes up in that, it's very simple. It's present simple, present perfect, you know, present continuous, going to, will... That's about it. It's basically everything that you've covered by the time you get to pre-intermediate. Yeah, pre-intermediate basically does all the grammar. Yeah, and of course, you know, you can still learn dramatic inversion if you really want to. But saying things like, never before have I heard so interesting, a a podcast, doesn't make you sound more advanced. It just makes you sound a bit weird. It makes you sound a bit like an idiot. A bit pompous, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And basically, I think the first thing to recognise is that from here on in, Progress is to do with acquiring collocations, phrases, mm-hmm. chunks, mm-hmm. learning to say things like from here on in, for example. Um, and it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's climbing up the never-ending mounting of language, one chunk at a time or one phrase at a time. Mm-hmm. I think the next thing to say is... I like is, that, one phrase at a time, one chunk at a time. That's all it is. Because you know, language is made up of chunks yeah. of commonly used... Uh, phrases yeah. and words and I mean it's yeah. interesting even when you speak English amazingly like my wife I mean she's lived in the UK for 25 years she was sending a WhatsApp message the other day and she wrote something we're trying to decide where to go camping with a group of friends mm-hmm. and she wrote something like I would be up for that uh, that place if everyone else would be up for it mm-hmm. and she said is this okay? And I sort of snapped and said, look, I'm not going to edit your WhatsApp messages. Just send it. And she said, there must be a phrase. I know there's a phrase that you would use that I can't remember. So I said something like, yeah, so I'm up for that if you are, or I'll, I'll go for that if you will. I'm mm-hmm. up for that if you are. And she, oh, that's it. I knew there was a phrase. And even when you're a really fluent user, you know sometimes that there's a slightly more idiomatic way mm-hmm. or widely used way of that's saying it, something that you can express phrase. yourself. Yeah. And I think it's it's thinking about lots of things are possible, but not everything is probable. And really, as you get better, what you want to learn to do is to express yourself in probable ways rather than possible Can ways. Can I suggest why that's extremely useful? Is Please do. When we're communicating with each other, we communicate... Half of the communication is expecting yes. what the next person. Yeah, is going to yeah, say. yeah, yeah. So yeah, when yeah, you say yeah. something that's kind of standard, that's common, that's regular, you're making the listener you work some less. Ease, yeah. It makes them work less, and yeah, makes them yeah. process less, and they can respond quicker. Yes, and that's when you get those dynamic, exciting conversations in English. Yeah, is when you start using stuff that makes that people are expecting. Yeah, and and I think yeah. when people sort of talk about thinking in English. Probably what they mean is not having to think in first language and translate from first language because what you want to say in English is already proceduralized and automatic. And so, I mean, for me, when I'm speaking Indonesian, I wouldn't say I think in Indonesian, but I often have moments where I'm not thinking in English Mm -hmm. and I'm sort of on autopilot and I can have conversations without having to stop and think about what I'm saying because I've said all those things before. And I know that those are the normal, typical ways of saying things. Mm -hmm. And where I struggle is when I'm trying to say things that I haven't said before. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I don't know how to say this in Indonesian. And then I fall back on my first language. And 
that's where it becomes problematic for yeah, me. That's when you don't say, I'm up for it, if you are. Yeah, exactly. You, 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 you kind of end up saying, I would like to accept that choice. You know, you, if you, you do would, a clumsy yes. way of saying it, and you, you know that there's probably an easy way of saying mm. it, but unless you can immediately access and produce that normal way of saying things, you have to do plan B, which is to fall back on words plus grammar. Yeah. So grammar won't help you find that. It won't. Yeah. It won't. One chunk at a time, one, one phrase chunk at, at a time. time. Yeah. And I think then that the issue is it can be very demotivating. I know a lot of high level learners who get very frustrated, they don't feel like they're making any progress. Mm-hmm. So I think another thing that's really important to do is to chart your progress in some way. And one of the ways you can do that is through things like Quizlet cards. Okay. okay. So if you're making flashcards where Say you've got the English and then you've got the, your language version of a sentence. If you're just doing that kind of thing regularly, I mean, at the moment I'm learning Russian, um, trying to learn Russian very, very slowly and very badly. The, yeah, one of the, the grammar's tough. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I like doing is my teacher sends me vocabulary lists and she will say them in English, she will pause and then she'll say them in Russian. And I test myself, so she'll kind of go, husband and wife. And then she'll pause and I go, oh, um, mush is And then you go, mush is And you go, oh, I've got one. And just doing that kind of thing mm. allows you to get a sense of your own progress. Yeah. Okay. Where you feel like, okay, now I know 50 items where two weeks ago I didn't. And you know, very importantly, these items, it better as phrases yes. rather than yes. as individual. And, and the higher up you go, the more that will be the case, yes. I think. Yes. So for people listening to this, it's all going to be phrase-based level. You know, yeah. you may have done be used to, get used to, I used to, but can you just say things like, oh, this is nice, I could get used to this. Right. Do you know that use of I could get used to this? Yeah, well, I'll never get you used know. to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's yeah. just, you know, or it, it took a bit of getting used to, those kind of things. Mm. There's all these kind of phrasal ways of using things that possibly are on the, you know, a part of your vocabulary but could be broader. Yeah. So I think it's 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 working out some way that works for you of allowing yourself to get a sense of your own progress. Um, I think the, the other thing to say about this level of, of learning is you need to accept ambiguity and you need to accept diversity and mm-hmm. you need to accept that there's often no one fixed answer. So when I get emails from people saying, what's the correct pronunciation of this word? My answer is there isn't one. You know, it depends who you ask. You get different people pronouncing it in different ways. What's the correct way to say this idea? Well, I can tell you the way I'd say it. Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll say it slightly differently. Maybe if you ask someone from Canada, you'll get another answer. Mm. Maybe if you ask an Australian, you'll get a third answer. Mm. Mm. Um, And I think it's it's just accepting that, you know, often there is no one fixed answer to a lot of language questions that you might have. And that even among native speakers, there's a huge amount of disagreement or... Yeah. I, I think often, diversity. often natives are often... This is maybe one area where natives and non-natives differ. If you've done a lot of your learning from a book or from literature or from... You know, I mean, I, I get Russian friends of mine who get frustrated because... They use vocabulary that they've learned at high school or university in Russia, and native speakers don't understand them because they've never heard that vocabulary before. Mm. And they're like, you know, well, why are native speakers' vocabulary so limited? And it's like, well, 
Or why are you using weird, arcane words <laughs> you've learned from 19th century novels mm-hmm. and expecting them to be part of most people's everyday conversation? Don't use Dickens to learn English. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely if you can read that stuff Dickens in English, great, but, but it's not going to boost your spoken you English in the way that you think it is. Irvin Welsh or something. Yeah, or better off watching, you know, Sex Education on Netflix or something. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, you know, something X-Factor. like that. Factor. Yeah, yeah, you know, just, just everyday it's, spoken it's language. terrible as that show is. It's going to be more useful for your English. Than and, and I think maybe that's another thing that's worth saying is I think a lot of teachers prioritise and possibly over-privilege or hold in too, too, too high esteem, too high an esteem. Mm-hmm. They, they, over, they overvalue or overestimate written language at the expense of spoken language. Right. And I think a lot of people have incredible vocabularies. They write incredibly well. They can read incredibly well. But there's still a huge amount of spoken language that they're not aware of. So one of the things we try to do with Instagram, where we are lexical underscore lab, uh, and with our YouTube channel, which is just lexical lab, we do these little things called one-minute English videos. Mm. And they're basically looking at things that come up in spoken language a lot that are quite common that very few people I know, even really fluent speakers of English use. Just sometimes it's simple little things like folks. You know, like, um, I've just been down to the West Country to visit my folks. Mm. You know, do you see much of your folks? For a native speaker or a fluent speaker of the language, that's a very common way of saying parents. Mm. But often even really advanced speakers don't know that yet. Or they'll see that as informal or, or whatever that means you know whereas actually that's just standard spoken it's, English yeah I mean it's, it's maybe a little colloquial but yeah you know it's but very yeah, very very prioritising the formal over the colloquial is, yeah. is not going to prepare students and, for and there's, there's just millions of these things English on you know, a daily basis yeah just things like yeah you know and sadly it's all too true just you know you probably know the word all and too and true but and do sad. you know the little phrase sadly it's all too true you know what? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that one. No, you don't know that no, one. No, no. But there you go. Everyone's English is different, right? It's all too true. It's all too true. I like it. This was one of my students recently asked me, so can we use hit and miss to talk about a sports team? Could I say, for example, Arsenal's season has been very hit and miss, and I'm an Arsenal supporter, and I said, yeah, you can. And sadly, it's all too true. <laughs> okay. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> um, so you know it, yeah. it's often it, it's those little kinds yeah. of expressions One, that um, you only learn from studying spoken language yeah. and valuing spoken language and appreciating the richness and, and mm. the interest value of spoken language in the same way as, as written language yeah. spoken language isn't a degraded form of the language it's not substandard English spoken language does a different job to written language mm. and you know, learn to appreciate it and value it and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, it has a deeper history as well. Yeah, it does, of um, course. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Lisa the other day, no, this today, about uh, finders keepers. The phrase, finders keepers. Yeah. Like, grammar's not going to get you yeah. to understand that. <laughs> loads <laughs> There's of no grammar loads in there. Loads of things like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so let's finish off. Okay. But, uh, before we finish, let's give three practical tips for people studying English learning English, wanting to get better. I mean, I guess there's, already, there's been about three, at yeah. least three tips. So let's summarise them, or you can add a new, new one or two or three. But they can start using today for the... For, okay. Yeah. So I think the first thing is, is accept the incompleteness of your knowledge, okay? Accept that you will probably never 
achieve full grammatical accuracy and you will never know everything that there is to know about the language. Um, you will always be learning slightly new angles on how to use grammar you've already studied or how to use words that you've already encountered. And this happens for everyone, even if you're a native speaker. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes see words yeah, being used in ways which I haven't encountered before. I remember when everyone started saying, my bad. My bad. You know, yeah. my bad. And like to begin that. with, I mean, I like it too. It's become part of my English. Mm. Um, but to begin with, it was like, oh, that's an unusual use of the, the... I haven't heard that before. Weird. And part of you kind of resists it because it's new or whatever. Mm. Um, but that becomes part of what I now know about how the word bad works. Yeah, yeah it's developed. So I think just just perfection's not going to happen, okay? Yeah. Not uh, with you, me, not any with any of us. Is, you know, not with no any of us. It doesn't exist. There is no even, such thing as perfect English. It doesn't <laughs> exist. Yes. Um, so I think just accepting that is maybe a... A weight off your shoulders a lot. Yeah, it's good news. Yeah. And, in, you know, in the same way, maybe this is point one, point B, <laughs> is for most of you, your accent's not going to be the problem. Um, you know, if you're intelligible and you sound like maybe Russian's your first language or Italian's your first language or Greek's your first language, don't worry about it. Be happy. It's... You sound like you're from where you're from. Um, the same way as I sound like yeah. I'm from where I'm from, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Own it from somewhere. Own, Own it. it. That's another phrase. And, and you know, accept accept yeah. the diversity, and it's a lovely thing. It's great. And different people and like different accents. People and, like different accents. Oh man, you yeah. know, it's it's. It always makes me laugh when I'm abroad and people say, "We love your perfect English accent." <laughs> <laughs> I did not add one. <laughs> yeah, and, and just you know, just just accept that. I think another thing is just to do with recognising that competence, that there's no shortcut, okay? Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to magically boost your vocabulary from 3,000 words to 6,000 words in 50 hours. There is no magic internet course that will give you IELTS 7.5 if you're on 5.5 mm -hmm. at the moment without you doing another 600 hours of study. Things take time, they take work. Um, you get better through exposure and experience and noticing and absorbing the language. Yeah. And to do that, you have to find input that works for you. I think the mistake a lot of people make is maybe input that's too difficult. Yeah. If you're reading things or listening to things and more than 15% of it's new for you, stop. Yeah. Um, you know, because I mean, I, I find it with my Indonesian. I speak kind of upper intermediate advanced Indonesian. When I try to read newspapers, it kills me because there's too much vocab in there. Yeah. yeah. It's too much. And so it puts me off. And actually what I end up reading is kind of football columns and Mickey Mouse in bilingual translations because that's closer to where I'm at with my, my spoken Indonesian. Tintin's good as well. Tintin, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So find input that works for you that's not yeah. too difficult. Yeah, and like... Reading should be a pleasure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it so often isn't when you're yeah. reading in a foreign language. I always, like, when I, when I lived in Istanbul, um, books, were, English language books were difficult to get. Yeah. And um, you go to the second-hand bookstore, and most of the English books are being bought by people who are learning English. And you get the first chapter, lots and lots of notes. Second chapter, <laughs> a few things underlined. Third chapter... Given up by that Nothing. Point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Too, too hard. Given up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's painful. Don't, don't kill yourself. Yeah. Read Tintin. And, and so I think the last thing to add to all of that yeah. is just just you need some way of recording and noticing. 
Okay, mm -hmm. whether that's highlighting new language that you're meeting in reading texts, or like I said earlier, Quizlet, or bilingual recordings of words, and often I think this can be a way of allowing you to notice your own kind of progress. My wife recently was rereading uh, a novel that she read when she first came to England in the nineties. And she'd highlighted a lot of words that she didn't know. Mm -hmm. And now she's looking back at it and she's almost sort of shocked, going, oh my God, I didn't used to know that. And I'm like, well, there must have been a point at which you didn't know it. <laughs> you know, you haven't always known this stuff. Yes. So yeah, when you were reading that at that point, when you were 24, you didn't know that piece of vocabulary. Now you can look, look back at that and go... I can't believe a version of me used to exist that didn't know this stuff. Yeah, and that's satisfying. But that's very satisfying Motivating. because that's a sign of your own progress and development. Mm -hmm. So however it is you're doing that, and probably you want multiple ways of doing that. Yeah, record yourself every couple of days. Record yourself. Keep, diary, keep Yeah, you know, yeah. whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. Um, ha have some way of recording what's new for you and use that as a way of tracking your own progress. Yeah. That's great. Cool. I like that. So we've got very, very... I just love summarising yeah. things. Go on. Except that you will never learn anything. No one knows everything, even Stephen Fry. Yep. And two, um, track your progress. Uh, and no, two was um, input. Two. Uh, yeah, enjoy yeah. your input. Enjoy your input and try not to make it too difficult. Don't because it kill will yourself. Kill yourself, yeah. yeah. And three, track, track your, your progress. progress. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Uh, yeah. Anything you want to add? Um, yes. Come and do a summer school course with us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, at, uh, uh, yeah. At, at Lexical Lab in North London. Lexical Lab, North London, lexicallab.com. Lexicallab.com. That's it. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Heath. Thank you. Awesome. Cheers. Boom. Boom. And we're out. Okay, well, that was it. That was Hugh Della. Um, yeah, and that, that went rather well. I thought I really enjoyed that. And there was some so many uh, pieces of wisdom, chunks of wisdom uh, from that interview. So... Yeah, once again, thank you, Hugh, Hugh for um, for humouring me. Should I leave that in? Probably not, but knowing me, I probably will. Anyway, uh, yeah, really insightful stuff. Uh, lots of great, juicy, like, interesting information, interesting ideas. Um, I don't want to bang on about, about the interview. You just heard it. Uh, but one thing I want to um, um, leave you with is, is just that one line that came out from that interview. Learn, learning English is, you know, it's a very long journey, goes on for, well, forever, I'm still learning. But if you take it, and this is the quote, one chunk at a time, one phrase at a time, then you will always do better and better. Don't compare yourself with other people, compare yourself with yesterday, who you were yesterday. Uh, I read that on a, on a gym uh, locker door, so it must be true. Uh, so yeah, Hugh's website, one more time, is uh, lexicallab.com. And uh, yeah, that name that was driving me crazy that I couldn't remember, the name of the comedian in the middle of the podcast, the name, it, was, it was Sean Locke. There you go. Sean Locke was the name of the guy who, whose name I'd forgotten. Uh, this is probably not very useful for you, but it, it's very cathartic for me. So yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Um, and yeah, I'll leave you with that phrase one more time. Before we talk or see each other figuratively speaking next week um so that phrase one more time one chunk at a time one phrase at a time